uh, to the Townley family. As he stated this morning, my father and my mother had a special relationship with him. And the first of our family that really built a deep relationship with him was my brother Wade, who pastors in Brewer, Maine. And Wade was given the privilege and the honor to be able to serve with uh, Brother Odom for some nine years or so and work with him there in the church at Hattiesburg. And uh, we just appreciate all that you all have invested into our family. It's invaluable. And uh, I think it would be right to say we are in part what we are because God has used you all to help us to become what we are. And we appreciate it as gifts from God. And our church is being blessed now. Amen. We want the Lord to use you tonight. I'm confident that God has given him a word that is a word fitly spoken that will be a word in due season that will be like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Amen. That will give us strength and courage for our future. How many is ready to receive it? God bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you very much. Praise God. Please be seated for just a moment. Let me visit with you before I take you to the scriptures. And if it's possible for someone at the soundboard to give me a little more power here at my personal monitor, that would really be nice. Now, what happens if I don't get that, the sermon will last 10 minutes or less. <laughs> if I do get it, the sermon will last an hour or more, so you make the decision what you prefer. <clears throat> Brother Townley, the first time that I went off to a large conference and used this ear monitor, they were still pretty new in the Pentecostal circles. I was told the story later that as the host pastor of the conference gave me the pulpit, a man that pastored a large church, thank you very much, brother, a man that pastored a large church in South Carolina, never seen one of these personal ear monitors, and he bumped a fellow <laughs> sitting next to him, and he said, what? is that thing that Brother Odom has got. Well, the man that was asked the question knew that he had him. And he said, you haven't heard? And the man from South Carolina said, heard what? He said, Brother Odom forgot all of his sermon notes in Mississippi. And Sister Odom is on the cell phone right there with him. She's reading him the notes and he's preaching. And the South Carolinian said, you've got to be kidding. So that's what that's all about. I want to visit about tonight for a moment. Sister Odom, hasn't this been beautiful tonight? This is so good. And look, just to include us in what's going on here has already blessed us. And to feel and to see the excitement and the enthusiasm. But I judged you more beyond your excitement and enthusiasm when I noticed the spontaneous worship to the Lord God. after the testimonies. That's impressive. God. I'm filled with such Glory. nostalgic thoughts and moments about the miracle that God gave us in our last pastorate in Decatur, Alabama. I will not abuse my allotted time and tell you the Decatur story, but if you will do what you're doing now, 
promise you that God will pick up all the slack and he'll take care of a whole lot more than what you're doing. Just do your part. I like what Pastor said a moment ago. It's not, and nothing is too small and nothing is too large. Those of you that's on fixed income, we pastors know that there's many limitations to what you can do. But your little widow's mites, if I can so say it like that, God keeps a record of that. Thank you, Pastor Townley, for letting me be a part of this thermometer financial growth. I would not be surprised if by December the 31st of this year, if you're not well over $100,000. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I'm not sure if your quietness means you don't believe me or you think that my faith is too small. <laughs> well, either way it goes. And before I bring the message, I want to make another comment about Pastor Townley. I'm in a lot of different church situations in the course of a year. My wife and I spent 50 years in pastoring, and now we're traveling and doing our best to help churches and pastors across the country, and we feel this is a great honor for us. But a beautiful thing tonight, and again this morning, in observing Pastor Townley, he led us in worship. And I go to so many places that the pastor drives us to worship. There's such a tremendous Bible study, Brother Townley. Maybe one of these days I'll share the notes with you. Probably not, but <laughs> there's such a big difference in a herdsman and a shepherd. And I feel like God has given this church a shepherd. Not a driver, but a leader. Finally, before I take you to the text, I caught the eye of several of you as you watched me this, uh, tonight on the platform. You noticed that I brought two thick envelopes with me, and I could almost see the fright in some of your faces <laughs> that he preached so long this morning out of one envelope. I might say that the one I just opened up is only 46 pages. But the one I'm fixing to open up is 117 pages. Boy, that didn't do well. The problem is, though, the pastor's already given me my offering for the weekend. So, thank you, pastor, and thank you, church. Would you please stand? I like, I like Sister Rome, this is a pretty church, isn't it? Wonderful people. Down south, the word pretty is not in our dictionary. It's pretty. And you're just pretty folks. Good-looking men, beautiful ladies, great group of young people. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the songs. Thank you, Pastor Townley, for letting Brother and Sister Odom pass through Jennings, Louisiana. I shall read from three books. Matthew, Luke, and Revelation. Matthew chapter 22, Luke 
chapter 14, Revelation chapter 19. And the reading will not be nearly as long as this morning, but just as intense. I want to use a little um, Bible college term to you if you're not familiar with it. And that is the harmony of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four writing evangelists, these men wrote what we call the four gospel books. Many instances, these men wrote about the same parable or the same miracle or the same sermon that Jesus taught, but they expressed it in their own words and by their own memory. And when you harmonize the gospels, you can read how Matthew wrote about a parable and then how Mark wrote about a parable, then how Luke wrote about a parable, and then how John wrote about one. So all I'm doing tonight is reading the same parable that falls from the pens of Matthew and Luke. Matthew 22 and Luke 14. The first verse of Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden or invited to the wedding and they would not come. I won't read any further in Matthew, but we do learn from the pen of Matthew what the, what's on the menu. It's called fatlings. Luke doesn't give us that information, but Luke gives us a bit more information about the same parable. In the 16th verse of Luke, Jesus is speaking, and he said unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and... Send his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden or invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. The word pray would be translated, I beg of you. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. And with much manners, he too said, I pray thee, I beg of you. Have me excused. Verse 20. And another said, I've married a wife, and let's don't laugh about this. All he's saying I have family situations. Therefore, he didn't say, I pray, have me excused, I beg of you. Don't. He just said, I, I can't make it. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt, and the blind. Verse 22, the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, but there's still room. And the Lord said to the servant, 
go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden or invited, they won't taste of my supper. This is a prophetic parable. We learn from Matthew, we learn from Luke. But one thing that we can decide and be accurate in, Jesus is teaching prophetically about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And interestingly, people found reasons not to go to heaven. Count me out. I won't be at the banquet table in New Jerusalem. That's how important this is. One verse, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, and this is John writing, these are the true sayings of God. Before you're seated, tonight's presentation may in fact be more teaching than preaching. But don't judge the anointing and the move of God by the volume of my voice. The Lord has sent me to this church this weekend. I've been wrapped in the warm arms of the love of God since I've arrived in this city. And I know without a doubt, I have a tremendous Bible message to preach to this church tonight. I know you're standing, and I'm not going to play the game of time with you. I don't know when I'll be done, but generally my sermons last around 45 minutes. It may not even be that long, but I've come to advise this great band of apostolics, the Lord is soon to come. And as I'm traveling across America, usually several times a year these days, I'm stunned when I begin to hear reasons why some pastors and then some churches do not want to have a move of God in their churches. I don't feel that in this church. I believe that you're on the cutting edge of a God-sent Holy Ghost revival. I want you to work hard and raise your money, give sacrificially, build the new building, celebrate the dedication but what if the Lord comes, Pastor, before that ever happens? We don't know that he will, but there's a distinct possibility he may. Prophetically, signs of the time have come to pass. Your world is more troubled tonight than it's ever been in its history. Our nation is in serious trouble. Mr. Trump is not the answer. Both houses of Congress is not the answer. The Supreme Court is not the answer. America needs a move of God. And it could begin in little places like Jennings, Louisiana. 
in settings just like this. I've had you to stand, but you'll listen to me tonight. And before I do begin my delivery, I want you to know that I need the Lord to touch me in the spirit because I need to weep when I preach tonight. I need this church to weep while I'm preaching tonight. Going to heaven is serious business. Living for God is what it's all about. And don't you buy into the so-called new doctrines of Christianity in the United States that this thing called hell is nothing but a fairy tale. Heaven is real. Hell is real. You and I will go to one or the other. Would you put your Bibles down, please, and then lift your hands and pray for yourself. You may be seated. I open my visit with you tonight with a very eternal, a very stirring, and a very disturbing possibility. This is why I need to weep. Because sitting in this audience tonight, there is a distinct possibility that everyone here will not go to heaven. I understand homiletics, and I fully understand after teaching it for several years at a college level that to be a successful public speaker, you must approach the desk and sell the audience on optimism and I will do that before the night is over. But I need to first of all garner everyone's attention that even Jesus taught it that way. He said, straight is the way, narrow is the gate that leadeth unto life, few there be that find it. Broad is the way, wide is the gate that leadeth unto death. Many there be that go in thereat. Statistically, it has been taught that the Andaluvian generation are the generation of Noah's flood, numbered well over 25 million people. But we find that only eight safely got into the ark and survived God's judgment. We find in the study of the book of Genesis and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain that the only ones that lived to talk about it was Lot and his two daughters. Mrs. Lot made the fatal mistake of turning back and disobeying the angelic commandment. In the New Testament, 
if we do the quick math, Jesus gives the parable of the ten virgins. Five were foolish. Five were wise. Allow me to defend my sermon tonight, if that would be necessary. I'm not judging you, and I'm not necessarily judging me. But it's not to everyone that says, Lord, Lord, that will hear him say, well done. But it is he that endureth to the end. The same shall be saved. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 70, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. Jesus was celebrating what we call the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26. And as they were eating, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. That's one out of the twelve. One of the last prayers that Jesus prayed before he went to Gethsemane and then ultimately to Calvary, the prayer is recorded by John in the 17th chapter of John. And he prayed in verse 12 for those 12 men. And he said, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. How can a preacher preach with a sense of excitement when we preach about damnation and eternal hellfire? The older I get, and I am getting old, going to heaven more and more is my only priority. The longer that I preach, sure, I want to feel that wonderful joy of the anointing of God. But if my preaching has not helped someone make a clearer decision about their eternity, then my preaching could have been in vain. Your pastor has been your pastor for some 14 years. He's here not for the accolades. He's here not for the boast and the brags. But the reason that God has given you a pastor is in hopes that you'll be saved at the end of your life's way. How can they preach if they're not sent? And I believe that God has sent you, Pastor James Townley. And his first and foremost responsibility is not to make you feel good with his sermons. It's not to tell you how great you are as a congregation and all that has its place. But his first responsibility is helping you be either in the rapture or if you pass from this life to be in the first resurrection of the dead. Pastor, I'll be leaving you tomorrow, but I pledge to you that you'll be on my early morning prayer list 
And not that it matters, but usually my early devotions begin 3.30-ish or 4. And I go several times down my list of pastors' names. And I present them to the Lord. Take courage, pastor. Beginning this week, your name will be called out and lifted to the throne of God. That you'll have a successful ministry in this church. And that you will have profound influence in the city of Jennings. But more than that, that you will have a congregation with you when the Lord comes and calls. We're talking about going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And instead of looking for reasons not to go, we should be thinking of reasons of why we need to go. It's going to be a sight that has never been seen before. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. But then Paul later wrote the church of Corinth and he said, I have not seen, ear hath not heard what God has prepared for them that love him. I would hope that in whatever field or profession that you're in, whatever your chosen occupation of life is, I hope and I do pray that you will be blessed and that you will grow financially and grow materially. But with that said as an introduction, what shall it profit a man? if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul. For at the end of life's way, if we hear our Lord say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I don't know you. I'm very interested in the response that I've studied from that teaching. For they will say to Jesus, But Lord, have we not done many mighty works in thy name? So they were a Jesus people. Have we not seen great miracles and overcome demons in thy name? So they were a Jesus people, which narrows the playing field in my sermon. I'm preaching to a Jesus people tonight. We believe in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. But you're not going to be welcomed to heaven by how many miracles that you performed or how many demons that you hamstring. But you're going to enter heaven if you've been faithful to the end. I make an old-fashioned preacher's public appeal tonight. Do what you have to do to hear the Lord say, well done. Pray how you have to pray. Fast how you have to fast. Worship how you have to worship. Rejoice how you have to rejoice. I've got to be saved. Paul said, here's my possibilities. Even after I have preached to others, I myself 
can become a castaway. I'm going to call for class participation, and this may call for a step of faith from someone to do what I'm asking to do. But on the high seas around Jennings, Louisiana, Mississippi, and parts beyond, there are former Pentecostal preachers, former Pentecostal pastors that are now castaways, lost and undone without God. Can you hear me out there? I need one man on my right side to stand and throw your hands up and pray for backslidden preachers. Would I have one? That's it. I need one man on the left side to jump up and to throw your hands up and pray for churches that used to be apostolic in standards, apostolic in doctrines, but they've gone the way of a charismatic renewal revival. I need you to help me pray for castaway preachers and for compromising churches. And those of you that are sitting, I ask you to get into a spirit of prayer that we all can be saved at the end of life's way. The parable that Jesus has taught in Matthew and Luke, and you may be seated, it also has some very powerful excitement that took place. For one of the attendees at this great supper was a man that had a little known disease called dropsy. Oftentimes we make a snide remark about the man that had dropsy, but it's more than just physical exhaustion, and it was more than just physical fatigue. The disease of dropsy was congestive heart failure. The disease of dropsy was gout. The disease of dropsy was renal or kidney failure. And the man was bloated beyond human proportions, gasping for his breath, bloated to embarrassment. His kidneys were not functioning. His heart was congestively failing. The man was swollen in his fingers, his hands, his wrists, all of his joints, because of the disease of dropsy, a combination of congestive heart, gout, and kidney failure. And the Bible said, and all that was at the great supper, they watched Jesus to see what he would do. It was a Sabbath day, and for him to heal on the Sabbath day, was diametrically opposed to their man-made traditions. I might tell you, though, that out of the 35 miracles that Jesus performed that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seven of them were performed on the Sabbath day. I've come to advise you, though, that we're not waiting for Sundays for God to move at First Pentecostal Church. Nothing will surprise me what happens in the midweek service this coming week. Nothing will surprise me what will be happening in your next prayer meeting. What I'm saying to you, that Jesus will move when we will give ourselves to him, whether it's Sunday morning or Sunday night or midweek Bible study. He's an on-time God. He's a very present help. 
and he's here tonight to supply all of your needs according to his glory. And the man was dying because of watery bloat. The man was retaining fluids, congestive heart, renal failure, and gout. It was affecting his circulatory system. It was affecting the tissues and the cavities of his entire body, his hands, his feet, his ankles, every joint was going through the rigors of congestive heart, renal failure, and gout. And while sitting there, Jesus looked at him and healed him. Well, we can say thank God for that. But you've got to try to seize the moment. For one second, he's bloated beyond proportion. One second, he's gasping for breath because of congestive heart failure. His little toes and feet and ankles and knees, his fingers, his hands and his wrists and his elbows are throbbing with pain because of uric acid that is destroying him. And when Jesus, at the precise eternal moment, decided that this was the moment for him to be healed, he was not given any type of a diuretic. He did not remove the fluids clinically or medically, but in front of your very eyes, congestive heart was gone. In front of your very eyes, kidney failure was gone. In front of your very eyes, gout was gone. I am bold enough to preach it the way I feel it tonight. Tonight is not just another Sunday night gathering of the little church in Jennings, Louisiana. Tonight, I'm expecting some things that's been battling you to be gone. In the name of Jesus, I come against doubt. Let it be gone. In the name of Jesus, I come against unbelief. Let it be gone. In the name of Jesus, I come against fear. Let it be gone before your very eyes. Clapping our hands and worshiping God. Three great invitations of Jesus. Matthew 11 is the first. Come unto me, all ye that labor and that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I lost my monitor on that. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I am lowly. The second great invitation of Jesus, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The third great invitation of Jesus, John chapter 7. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come.
come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. And this spake he of the Holy Ghost. While Christ is not physically in this house tonight, I am his ambassador and his representative. If you're sick in your body, Jesus says, come unto me. If you're battling in the spirit, Jesus says, come unto me. If you just need a new blessing in the Holy Ghost, Jesus says, come unto me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad that we have access to the throne of God for the middle wall of partition has been torn asunder from top to bottom and now we can come hesitantly. Now we can come hesitantly. Now we can come reservedly. No, but now we can come boldly before the throne of God. So in the parable of Jesus, there were three special invitees. And first invitee said, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. Have me excused. The second invitee said, I bought some farm implements, five yoke of oxen. I must go improve them. And my land and my oxen are more important to me than going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the third says, I've married a wife. I've got family responsibilities. I will not be there. So if I can put it in South Louisiana English, the first man, he was too preoccupied with his land investments and his possessions. Count me out. I don't plan to go to heaven. The second man was more concerned about his farm and his implements and his oxen. Count me out. I don't plan to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the third said, I have family responsibilities. I will not be there. Now, whether you approve of his decision or not, that's for you to decide. But your pastor has given me full liberty in this pulpit. What I want to say to the church is this. If your job is more important than your walk with God, you better be looking for another job. If your earthly possessions and your wealth is more important to you than going to the marriage supper of the Lamb, you might better be giving some more money to the building fund. If your family is keeping you out of the altar and keeping you out of the prayer room and keeping you out of the word of God, you better set your family down and say, there's nothing more important than living for God. So I'm going to preach it the way the Lord has gave it to me. I need a couple of ushers to come and help me real quick. I'm going to give, come on, a couple of ushers to come help me real quick. I want everybody to receive a special invitation to the marriage, go ahead, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Pass them out. 
I have given this for you tonight because I don't want anybody to feel like you've been discriminated against. You are being invited in Matthew chapter 21. You are being invited in Luke chapter 14 to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These invitations are self-explanatory. The three men that were the invitees had their excuses. I purchased property. I purchased oxen. I have a family. And I need everyone's full and eternal attention tonight. Hear me one more time. Though redundant I may be, nothing is more important on this, the fifth night of August, 2018, than your walk with God. And don't sit there and procrastinate and say, Brother Pastor, I'll get spiritual later. Later may not ever arrive for you. Brother Pastor, I'll help you in building programs later. Later may not ever arrive. What I'm telling this audience, Pentecost, we've run out of excuses. For thou art inexcusable, O man, is what the Bible quickly says. I've come to advise you that we better put God first, heaven first, living for God first, and to hear him say, well done. Did you get one? I want my pastor and the gentleman sitting with him to get one. Don't look at me like you don't understand this. You may not have pencil and pen in your hand, but I want every one of you to participate if you've got a good reason. And it's for you to keep. Nobody will see it but you. I want you to write down your excuses why you can't be faithful to church on Sunday morning. I want you to write down your excuses why you can't be faithful to church on Sunday night. I want you to write down your excuses why you can't be at church early for prayer meetings. And when you start writing those excuses down, you'll find they're so shallow and they're so insignificant. Look at this old preacher tonight. I'm near my 73rd birthday, called to preach 63 years ago. Between now and my date with destiny and the judgment bar of Christ, I have no excuse. My first and foremost responsibility tonight is to help you hear Jesus say, well done at the end of life's way. I want to pause and make a statement to you that if you're not spiritual, you will never understand this. But in all of the sermons that I preach, this is the one that the spirit world fights me the most because the devil never wants you to think that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And the devil wants you to think that you've got unlimited time to make up your mind to live for God. But the time clock of eternity is ticking down. We are approaching the midnight hour. 
Not much more prophecy needs to be fulfilled before the sound of the trumpet. What a grand and glorious thing it would be tonight if from this very atmosphere that the trumpet will sound and we will be called home to be with him. I think that we have become experts and professionals by categorizing sin. And we have determined that some sins are worse than the other. But it's my doctrine that anger and arrogance is just as sinful as adultery. It's my doctrine that backbiting is just as sinful as blasphemy. It's my doctrine that cheating is just as sinful as cursing and covetousness. It's my doctrine that deception is just as sinful as disobedience. It's my doctrine that falsehoods are just as sinful as fornication. That gossip is just as sinful as greed and godlessness. That hatred is just as sinful as heresy. That injustice is just as sinful as infidelity. That lying is just as sinful as licentiousness and lasciviousness. That pettiness is just as sinful as pride and profanity. But we've arrived to the place that we can justify our little pet wrongs and the things that we enjoy doing. And while I'm not here as Lord over God's heritage, ladies and gentlemen, to hear the Lord say, well done. It's going to take a close walk with God. It's going to take an anointed prayer life. It's going to take a Christian commitment that's more than just a contemporary business lack of commitment. And I feel the core of this church is making that commitment. Pastor, we're here for the long run of this. We're here for the long haul of it. We don't intend to be cast into the lake of fire. Have you filled out your form yet? What are your reasons for not going to heaven? Pastor, we preach some of the grandest and greatest sermons and we call it the roll call of faith. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, Abraham looked for a city. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive and bear a child when she was past age. We preach grand and gloriously that by faith, Jacob worshiped God, leaning on a staff. We preach that Joseph made mention concerning his corpse. We give credits to Amram and Hakabed, the mother and the daddy of Moses, who fearlessly hid their baby for 90 days, not fearing 
the commandment and the wrath of the king. We preach gloriously about Moses who chose to suffer the afflictions with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So we preach our sermons about the roll call of faith and they are inspiring and they are encouraging. But my sermon tonight is not emphasizing the roll call of faith, but I want to talk about the roll call of failure. Adam and Eve will not attend the marriage supper because they took the forbidden fruit. And to every Christian in this room tonight, there are still some things that God puts on the forbidden category. We don't need to go there. We don't need to wear that. We don't need to buy that. We don't need to put that in our homes because it will doom us to hell. I'm fully aware at this time of my ministry for there to be a sermon strong against sin and iniquity. It's not a popular sermon anymore, but God put a man of God in my life that will tell me what I need to give up to be saved. Tell me how I've got to live to be saved. Don't brag on me and tell me how good I'm doing when I need to do a whole lot better than what I'm doing. The roll call of failure includes Cain. The roll call of failure includes Lot's wife. And Achan took the Babylonian garment. Then there was Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire on God's altars. And the roll call of failure includes King Saul who saved the best of the lowing cattle and the bleating sheep of the Amalekites. And the roll call of failure includes Gehazi who for some Syrian clothes and Syrian money he sold out Elisha and he sold out God. The roll call of failure includes Jeroboam who taught Israel how to sin. The roll call of failure includes Jezebel and to her was given space to repent but she repented not. The roll call of failure includes Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel, who covenanted the bejewel crown to be the queen of Israel. The roll call of failure includes the rich young ruler who had valuable possessions that was more important than his eternal life. The roll call of failure includes Judas Iscariot for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed the Lamb of God. The roll call of failure includes Hananias and Sapphira who held back I came into a spiritual moment this afternoon in my devotions about this service. When I came to Ananias and Sapphira, my heart broke within me. While you may be doing well in giving your finances and tithe and offerings, when it comes to worship, don't hold back when it comes to clapping your hands. When it comes to praise, don't hold back when it comes to lifting your hands. Can I hear a witness? The roll call of failure includes the Ephesian church who left their first love. The roll call of failure includes the Smyrna church 
that was a dead church. The roll call of failure includes the Pergamon church who was a licentious, shameless church. The roll call of failure includes the Thyatiran church that was a lazy and a lax church. The roll call of failure includes Laodicea that was a lukewarm church. Somewhere when we do an autopsy on these churches of Asia, we might find what the ills are in the Pentecostal movement of this last generation but I've come to preach to the Ephesian spirit find your first love one more time I've come to preach to the Smyrna spirit don't be dead in Christ Jesus I've come to preach to the Pergamon spirit lay aside your licentiousness and your shamelessness I've come to preach to the fire tyrant spirit. This is no time to get lax in prayer and worship and living for God. Much time can be spent about the Laodicean church and I want to take just a moment and talk about it. The city of Laodicea was built in the country, if you please, a prigium. It was near two very fertile valleys and the thing in this great Lycus Valley of Prigium, they raised the rare black sheep Laodicea was the crown prince city of the entire state of Rome. It was the medical center of Rome. It was the financial capital of Rome. Not only that, but one thing that they lacked in Laodicea, they had everything that money could buy. But what they did not have was their own water supply. So rich and wealthy Laodicea, they had to buy their drinking water from two sister cities. And their names were Heriopolis and also Colossae. Colossae's water was cold artesian waters. The water from Heriopolis was deep mineral hot springs waters. And when Laodicea bought the water from Heriopolis and from Colossae, they conduited it to a small city four miles north of Laodicea. And that community was called Denzili. And at Denzili, the cold water of Colossae and the hot water of Heriopolis when the hot and the cold mixed together and they joined together and coursed their way through the ancient stone conduits to the cisterns of Laodicea that had lost the identity of the Colossian cold water and lost the identity of the Areopolis hot water. And by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot and it wasn't cold, but it was lukewarm. The wealthiest city in the state of Rome, the powerful political capital of the state of Rome, the textile industry has produced the most beautiful garments and stylish clothes for the state of Rome. But because of cold and hot, I feel this tonight. Because of cold and hot coming from Colossae and cold and hot coming from Heriopolis. By the time it got to the drinking fountains of Laodicea, 
It had lost the identity and it was nothing but lukewarm. I may stand alone on the stage of the apostolic ministry, but as long as God gives this old preacher breath, I've come to tell Pentecost, this is no time to compromise the doctrine. This is no time to compromise the message. This is no time to compromise holy living. We're not to be like the world, for he's called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Pastor, I address you personally. You're not to preach like denominator preachers because you have the anointing. Musicians, I address you. You're not to make music like denominator churches because you have the anointing. Singers, you're not to sing like entertaining singers because you have the anointing. And what has set you apart in Jennings, Louisiana is that you have the presence of the anointing of God in this house. I need my copy. So have you filled yours out and why you're not going to go to heaven yet? I'm waiting. Because I'm giving you an RSVP invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I promise you, Pastor, uh, let, let my word be good here. Don't, don't ask for their papers. Let them take them home with them. But when the Lord first dealt with me about my excuses, why this old preacher and his beautiful wife should not go to heaven, I considered the three invitees. Purchase property, not a good enough reason. Purchased implements, five yoke of oxen, not a good enough reason. My family keeps me out of church. That's not a good enough reason. And when I looked at my personal form and when I wanted to fill out my excuses, it dawned on me that I have no excuse. Christ died for me. Christ shed his blood for me. Christ was buried for me. Christ was resurrected for me. Christ ascended for me. But the best is yet to come. Christ is coming back for me. And all I have tonight... I don't know how you would feel about me making confetti in your church. But when I looked at my reasons for not going to heaven, and I looked for my reasons not to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb, when I looked for my reasons not to honor the preaching of my pastor, 
when I look for reasons why I could not be faithful to all church services, when I look for reasons why I couldn't live sacrificially under the Lord Jesus Christ, this is exactly what I did. I took my form and I held them up before God. I said, God, I'm out of excuses. If there's going to be a revival, I plan to have the revival. If there's going to be a miracle healing, I plan to have the miracle healing. If there's going to be a sovereign move of God, I'm going to have a sovereign move of God. Where's my Jesus preacher at? Get your form and come up here, son. You and I will be making an embarrassment out of ourselves, but I'm going to break my word. I want to see your excuses. Blank will do with yours what I did to mine. Would you do that? What I want you to know if you come to church at Jennings and you are a little bit reluctant to worship God in the spirit and in truth in fear of what your sitting neighbor might say about you, forget who they are and press your way through the worship. The come on, son. You act like you want to go to heaven or somewhere. Look at me, young brother, that come up the aisle. Speak out real loud. What are your excuses? No excuse. What I'm prophesying to this pastor, there is a holy move of God in your church tonight. And the Lord has sent me to say to you, preacher, mark it down from this night forward. You're going to see your people praying like they've never prayed. You're going to see your people worshiping like they've never worshiped. You're going to see your people holy like they've never been holy. The house was empty when the servant came back and told the master about all of these good intellectual excuses why people would not attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. Behold, the master said in a fit of anger, he said, then I want you to go find me some poor folk. Find me some maimed people. Find me some halt and find me some blind because I'm going to have some guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't... I do not a one of you want to think I'm condescending when I make this statement. But if you're a little bit too proud, brother, to shout a little while before God, you really won't feel at home at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love you, dear sister, but if you were a bit too proud and sophisticated to yield to the quickening power of the Holy Ghost, you may not feel at home at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to call into question the maturity of the apostolic movement across North America while you're being seated. 
I wish I could tell you, Pastor, that all of your future new converts are going to be from Silk Stocking Hill, Jennings, Louisiana. I wish I could tell you that all of your converts are going to be highly successful people in their chosen profession or field. I wish I could tell you, Pastor, that all of your future converts are going to be the cream of the crop of Jennings, Louisiana. But I have come to ask about your spiritual maturity. Are you going to be able to, uh, to welcome people to your church that don't understand Pentecostalism? They've never been taught how to sit down with dignity. All they know is an heroin needle, a joint of marijuana, and a snort of cocaine, and a bottle of booze. But when Jesus changes their life, all they know, they're not going to have manners. All they know is hallelujah. All they know is glory to God. All they know is thank you, Jesus. Am I safe? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And there was still room. Hallelujah. Can I pray for you? Yes, sir. Would you kneel? And this is the way of the Lord tonight. From this night forward, your preaching will have a different anointing. This is a choice man here. Come help me, Sister Odom. You can trust Sister Odom. She's a prayer warrior. From this night forward, when you lay hands on the sick, doubt will have to go. Unbelief will have to go. It's a new life for you, Pastor. You will walk in the anointing like you never walked in the anointing. You will be received in this city and community like you've never been received in this city and community because the Lord has heard your prayer. The Lord has kept records of your sacrifice. God has counted every tear. And now the time has come that he will pour out his spirit abundantly upon you in the power of the Holy Ghost. And the good thing about it, this local church is going to receive the benefits of this anointed preacher. Help him up, So I pray for him first to make an announcement that Jesus has sent me to make to this church. You will receive your generous blessings of the various brackets of society. But when they come in this church with smelly body odor, Jesus died for them just like he died for the wealthy man. You will have them to come to your church that has lived a life of drug addiction, but they're going to be delivered by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
They'll come to this church. They've lived a life of alcoholism, but they're going to be delivered. Look what I see coming. The parking lot is full. The backsliders are coming home. The drug addict is praying through. The drunk is praying through. The prostitute is praying through. The homosexual is set free. Just don't let him run by himself. be standing between the pew but I want you to lift your voice and shout unto the Lord Gentlemen, would you please quit interrupting my preaching and go back to your pews, especially the big boy here. <laughs> What's your name, brother? You got that Holy Ghost? with him, I'll shout with him and I've got news for you folks when you get the Holy Ghost it's like a burning fire shut up in your bones boys don't let him shout by himself Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all be changed 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. For when that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Paul continues to the church of Thessalonica. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. My God, I better obey the Holy Ghost right here. Little girls, don't you let wearing ungodly clothes keep you out of the rapture. Little boys and men, don't you let LSU and the New Orleans Saints keep you out of the rapture of the church. Lady, don't you let the scissors cutting your hair keep you out of the rapture of the church. It's come down to the point we better obey what the man of God preaches. If he preaches against it, don't do it. If he preaches for it, do it. We gotta be saved. Revelation chapter one, while you're being seated. I think about right now, I'm supposed to ask what time it is. But I think I'm not going to ask that question tonight because I really don't care. I'm talking about going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. No excuses. No alibis. No reasons to miss it. Revelation chapter 1, John was in exile <laughs> on the barren island called Patmos. Only certain enemies of the state of Rome were banished there. And the reason they were banished there because they were a threat to the cozy political system and the mythological gods <laughs> of the Roman Empire. My God, I felt the Holy Ghost when I said that. I want you to know that the Jupiter of Rome and the Zeus of Greece, the Apollos of Rome, the Mercurius of Rome, the Jupiter of Rome, the mythological gods that they worship, man, they can't stand before the name of Jesus Christ. I need somebody to shout Jesus. What I'm... What, John banished to the Isle of Patmos and he was banished there to die because of exposure, a blistering, shadeless sun, howling Mediterranean salty winds, gulls and scavengers waiting for his last breath where they could pick the flesh off his corpse. He was banished in exile to Patmos to die, an enemy to the entire state of Rome and the mythological system of Roman worship. And John, instead of gasping for breath and suffering from shock and suffering from exposure, lo and behold, he writes, and I was in the spirit 
on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me the voice of many waters. And I turned to see the voice that I heard like was many waters. And behold, I saw one walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, the seven churches of Asia. He was clothed with a garment down to the foot with a golden girdle about the waist. His head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow his eyes were like a flame of fire his face was like the sun shining in its brilliant countenance he held in his right hand the seven stars his feet was like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace I want the apostolics to hear me when I tell you the devil has cast you into exile hoping that you are die a slow agonizing death and Pentecost will be nothing but a memory and nothing but a myth but I've come to make an announcement to hell devil we're in the spirit and this is the Lord's day and we hear the voice of God I hope that I'm not violating my pastor tonight. I would never deliberately do that, Pastor. But I just kind of want to do something here. And I'll clean the mess up. I'll run the vacuum. I've done it many times as a pastor. I'll sweep with a broom and the scoop pen. But some of you that are still clutching your RSV invitation to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, you need to settle it once and for all right now. Nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to block me. Nothing is going to rob me of my crown. Nothing is going to rob me of the walls of Jasper, the gates of pearl, and the mansions in glory. Are you waving your hand to the Lord or waving your fist at me? Well, tear up your excuse. That's what I want you to do, buddy. Ain't no, ain't no reason going to stop me. Pastor, as of tonight, hold on. Pastor, as of tonight, you're not going to have to wait on me to worship God. All I need for you to say, let's go, folks, let's worship. And if nobody else worships, I'm going to worship. 
Pastor, you can count on me. If nobody else prays, I'm going to pray. Pastor, you can count on me. If no... Walk him around. He needs to know what it feels like. Go ahead, walk him around. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh Lord. Hamoshandalamo hikando moshataya. And after this, I looked. And behold, there was a door in heaven, and the first voice that I heard said, Come up hither, and I will show you some things that must come to pass hereafter. The 24 elders casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus, the four be shouting, Holy, Holy. I'll clean it up. Well, I just I just whispered under my breath, I'll clean it up, and he throws his out. Well, let's follow the leader. Let's get rid of our excuses. Pastor says enough is enough. I'm gonna go to heaven. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be a conqueror. I'm going to be victorious. I'm going to win. Shout, son, shout. Sister Odin, <laughs> you feel that Holy Ghost? Come up here and shout with me. And if this old couple can do it, come on, buddy, get your wife by the hand. Get out from behind those pews. We're going to go to heaven as a family. We're going to live for God as a family. We're going to hear him say, well done at the end of the way. Come on, brother. I feel the Holy Ghost on you. Shout with your wife. Shout with your wife. Shout with your wife. Shout with your wife. Shout, shout, shout.
praise God. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair heaven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Let's all lift our hands and sing it. Fair heaven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. Now let's sing it with all of our heart. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair heaven of rest for the weary. Since my baby, Amanda, passed away over 26 years ago, I've preached many, many, many funerals. And the funerals were for great, great saints of God that I had full confidence in that they were right with God. And I have to make an apology for what I'm going to say because it would be tough for me to prove this scripturally. So I apologize before I say it at funerals, but it just does me a lot of good to say it at a funeral. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. But I have spoke over the bodies and the caskets of great saints of God. And I have made an appeal to their ear that cannot hear me because it makes me feel good to say it. And I just say, Pastor, if you find Amanda, tell her that mother and dad is on their way. We're still preaching it. We're still living it. And it won't be long now. Now, I can't prove that all that can happen but I'll tell you what, it feels good to say this. Folks, when we hear him say, well done. Can somebody pray for castaway preachers right now? Can somebody pray for our churches that have gone worldly and charismatic right now? Can somebody weep before the Lord and plead the blood to bring them back?
But to see Amanda and mother and daddy and my wife's mother and daddy that I have affectionately always called Momo and Popo. And to see Abraham and to see Isaac and to see Jacob and to see the patriarchs of old. And to see that star-studded group of New Testament preachers that walked out of the book of Acts. That is going to be wonderful. But, you know, oh, I want to see him. And look upon his face. I want to see Jesus. Come on, folks. I'm going to heaven. I'm getting up a load. Anybody care to go with me? Then lay down all of your alibis and all of your excuses. It's revival time in Jennings, Louisiana. It's Holy Ghost time in Jennings, Louisiana. We're going to have a revival to the rapture. Come on now, we're going to have a revival to the resurrection. Let them come. Bring in the poor and the blind and the maimed and the halt. They're welcome at First Pentecostal Church. The blood of Jesus can wash them clean. The blood of Jesus can set them free. I need some shouting in the house. Get ready. The Lord is about to move. Thank God for our pastor. Thank God for our pastor. Pastor, take us to heaven. Pastor, take us to heaven. Pastor, take us to heaven. Come on, church. Would you hold your hand out and say, Pastor, take us to heaven. Pastor, take us to heaven.